Welcome to One Sharp Sword, cutting through to what matters most with your host, Dr. P, Dr. Wayne Purnell, the breakthrough success coach and your powerful presence mentor. Welcome to One Sharp Sword, cutting through to what matters most. I'm your host, Dr. P, Dr. Wayne Purnell, the exponential success coach. And with me today, I am honored beyond belief and excited beyond belief to be able to bring a man who's been exceptionally influential in my life. Um, I would say I've allowed him to change my life. And um, it's it's interesting because his background is one of, uh, well, he's a dead man and he's uh, beyond dead. He was... Uh, <laughs> someone who didn't graduate high school um and yet he's changing the lives of millions and without further ado let me introduce uh david nagel thank you for being here yeah pleasure to be here my honor thanks <laughs> real pleasure to be here all right so i introduced you as a dead man and i introduced you as someone who didn't graduate high school and somebody who uh so somebody who's changing the lives of millions, including mine. And um, <laughs> your life was going along just fine until 1989 <laughs> when, <laughs> when. Uh, I don't was, know if it was fine. <laughs> it was going along. But all right. It was going along fine. Well, a lot of people who had, right, you were, you were like one of the first pictures I, I know uh, of you or have seen of you is you in a McDonald's uniform. So yeah. um, it was like a lot of people get into fine and it's just, life is just fine. Life is just fine. It's fine. Yeah. Um, and I think for some time you had that and you knew there was more like, like so many of us who ache for more, you knew there was more. Um, you were working on a dock. Is that right? At that well, point? Not, in that, not in 89, I wasn't. Uh, okay. That was in 1992, 93. Okay. So, um, so talk about the, like, prior to 89 and the incident. Um, the change. Wait. So let me bring you from the McDonald's uniform up to 89. That'll be real, that'll be really quick. So the McDonald's uniform was like 1982. It was from 80 to 81, 82 in that area. That's when that picture was taken. Um, and then I quit, I quit high school in 84, uh, 80, 83, 84. That's when I left. I was 17. And I just started, what I did was I worked, right? So in, in those few years, I worked at McDonald's. I worked for UPS. Uh, I used to unload trucks from 10 to 2, two o'clock in the morning. I would open up McDonald's at 5 in the morning, work till 11. At 12, I started my third job, which was in a warehouse, but not a forklift. That was a warehouse in the city of Chicago. I'd work a few hours there. I would go home, grab something to eat, have a nap. And then, you know, kind of do it all over again. And so I'm doing this, doing this routine, and I was trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life. So I decided to join the army. Um, I, I, I did, I wasn't in the, I wasn't in active duty long. I came home uh, right around, right around the year mark, maybe a sh just short of a year. And then when, when I came home, I got married. 
Um, and right after I got married, the year after I got married uh, is when the accident happened in 1989. But from the time I got married until that accident, it it wasn't like things were good. I had no education. I had no skill sets. I was trying to find work like crazy. Uh, I managed to get hired at Metropolitan Life. Uh, I was selling life insurance for about two years. And actually, that part there was was going relatively well um, until the savings and loan crisis hit. How did you move from um, you know working UPS in a warehouse? And then army to deciding I'm going to sell life insurance. Like that's a, that's a, well, I, was, well, I was looking for a job and my stepfather was a life insurance salesman. Worked okay. for so he said, why don't you come, why don't you come over here? He's like, you can make a really good living over here. Right. And they'll train you and they'll do, you know, all this stuff. So I went and I got, I got all my licenses to, to be able to sell life insurance and health and auto and all that stuff. And I was actually doing okay. Um, I was learning. I was young. I had a long way to go, but it, but I was building. It was actually going semi okay. And then the savings and loan crisis hit. Now, if you know anything about selling insurance, part of building a decent income in insurance is renewals, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not it's not just first year commissions. You got to really work for first year commissions, especially when you're brand new. And then you start to build, you build upon your income with having these renewals. Well, here's the problem. As soon as the saving loans crisis hit, everybody was dumping their insurance policies. So my income just tanked like overnight, right through the floor. It just, and I couldn't sustain it. I I could not sell enough new insurance to make up for what was sold and how fast I was losing it Mm. at the same time. So left there, uh, again, real trouble finding a job because I had no no education, no skill sets. And I, you know, had I known what I know now, I probably would have looked in different directions because I obviously had an aptitude for sales, but I didn't realize just how significant that was and where I could might be able to go to be able to use it. So I ended up, I ended up on a forklift. Uh, Well, I had the accident. I had the accident in 89, September of 89. That, that accident kind of woke me up out of a kind of a lethargy where I was, I had no sense of urgency other than to take care of my family, right? There was an urgency there, but not an urgency like to figure something out for my life, which was going on in my mind. I just had no idea, Wayne, what to do with it. Absolutely. I think most people feel that. Like, I think most people live their lives that way. Like, like that's why I said life is fine. It's fine. You know, I want more. I feel like there's more in me, but, but it's fine. And, and so you eke your way through and it's like, well, I, you know, I paid these bills today and, you know, I'll put those off and, and it's an accident. You know, I call <laughs> I introduced you by saying you were a dead man. So the, the accident was one where you were like sucked underwater and, and, like the rescuers through a a dam right yeah right through a dam so most people don't know that story that that's the short version of it and rescuers said basically we don't know um i was one of so in 1989 now that dam had been there army corps of engineers built it in i don't know probably the 30s or the 40s uh people died going through that dam every year 
but nobody like unless you lived in in or where in the town where that dam was you wouldn't have known that and we i didn't live anywhere near where that dam was and the army corps of engineers um uh or, i'm sorry the re- the the river rescue told me that as far as they knew only two people had gone through that dam and survived and i was one of them and the other person that went through went bef- went a year before me and he was a paraplegic because he was injured so bad coming out of it they told me a story. They told me a story while I was in the boat, right? They picked me up. <clears throat> I'm in a boat. I'm I'm really beat up. And they said that, again, the year before my accident, two guys were in a, in a small motorboat fishing, okay? And as they're fishing, their motor conks out. They get stuck in the current. They can't get to shore. It sucks them, the boat, the motor, the whole thing into the dam. They're stuck inside the dam. And they send three firefighters down in scuba gear to try to get them out. All five died. Mm. All five died, right? So now all they would do was be open the gates and they would let the bodies flush out. That's usually mm. what, what the deal was. So I, you know, when I came out of that and I was in the emergency room, everybody kept saying, like, it was weird. It was everybody kept saying the same thing to me. They're like, uh, God's really watching out for you. Wasn't your time. You know, there's an angel on your shoulder, like a lot of religious connotations about why I didn't die. And I, it started messing with my head in a good way though. Like there's a reason I'm here. There's a reason I didn't, you know, that I didn't die that day. And I need to figure out what that reason was, you know? So, so that was the, the it woke me up because I'm in my early twenties. It wakes me up to the idea that, oh, wow, <laughs> death is a real thing. We could die any day. We have no idea what day that, what day that is. Hopefully we're here for a long time, but possibly not because actually on that day, I was having a good day, right? It was a, it was a, it was a relaxing day. I was going to be water skiing that day. It was supposed yeah. to be a fun day. And it didn't turn out that way, right? And it happened that fast. Like, I went from having a great time to being in danger of my life in just a matter of a minute. It's amazing, David, because, I mean, there's so many layers here also. You talk these days, especially about the meaning that we give to something. And other people are giving this meaning to you. You know, God's looking out for you. Um, And you took it and you said, there's more, right? It's like... I have to do something besides drive a forklift. Like there's something more. And I, I love that. I, part of me wonders, you talked in one of our morning sessions, you talked about uh, people have to hit bottom or a lot of, a lot of people hit bottom in different ways before they wake up. Yeah. Do you think everybody does? Like for you, this was like, oh my God, like there's nothing like mortality, you know, facing mortality to go, well, yeah, there's more to life. Um, The other part of this, and I want to just share this, is that that you just very matter-of-factly say, well, everybody dies. So like, it's just, just it's a thing. Um, And so hopefully you have a long life. Hopefully that, you know, each, each of us has a long life where we make, a contribution. So do you, do you feel like two things? One, this was the bounce point for you where it's like, oh my gosh, there's something. I am bigger than the forklift and I'm bigger than being sucked through a dam. That's not what I was thinking though. It's not. That's not what I was thinking. Okay. Absolutely not. So let me tell you what I was thinking. Yeah, please. I was thinking 
because of because I had a religious upbringing, uh, and I, what everybody was saying to me, I thought God was now going to drop some opportunity in my lap, and I was actually waiting for it. Right, so I was working on the dock after my back healed, and I went back to work. I was waiting for it, like something's going to show up, and then I'm going through this process where things are continuing to get bad. Like it's 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 getting worse and worse and worse. Things were not getting better. This is this is this period of time where my car was repossessed. We went bankrupt. We had to leave the apartment in the middle of the night. That whole story that you know. That was after the dam and before I actually had that that kind of holy uh, uh, night on the on the on the back of the forklift. You know the the the, um, the dark soul thing. I was not, I was not thinking I was, I knew, I knew inside, well, I didn't know. I had a feeling inside that I was here to do something more, but I really had no idea where I was starting. And that was a big part of the problem because I didn't know what problem to fix first. I thought the problem that I needed to fix was the finance, the finances. Cause I'm, <clears throat> we're, I mean, we had two kids, we're married, we're over our head in bills uh, we had overspent when I worked for Metropolitan Life and we had a little bit of money. So now we have debt. Can't pay the bills. Um, I'm, I'm making, you know, very little uh, amount of money and immature in my spending. No question. Like that was totally my responsibility. I was immature in my spending. And um, I was thinking to myself, OK, I need to fix I need to fix this money problem. How do I fix the money problem? Well, I started asking people, what do I do? I, re, you know, because the whole idea was, hey, David, you shouldn't have quit high school. Now look at the position that you're in. It's like, yeah, okay, got that. Yeah, got it. Got it. Made it, made an error, made an error. Now what do I do? And nobody could tell me. All the should haves. Nobody had any idea. It was all, yeah, it was all the should haves. And it was now work your ass off um, in order to get out of the situation. But there, but there was no, working that hard to get out of the situation. It wouldn't have changed it. There would be no way for me to advance in the company that I was in. I, it was nickel and dime raises, right? Uh, and I mean, that's, it, I would have been, I literally would have been there for the rest of my life if I had taken the advice of just keep working as much overtime as possible, right? So in that process, and that process was a two-year process, okay, where I was on that forklift every day, and driving trucks on the weekend and trying to figure out how do I change this in income issue. And I was trying to come at it from everything that I could. I did know how to work, right? So I would do things like I said, I got a little bit of money and a guy gave me a bit of a break and I bought a used pickup truck uh, and what was a used, bra used, used, used blazer, used Chevy, used Chevy blazer, right? Had a plow on the front of it in the wintertime in Chicago. I could make a little, I could make a little significant money doing that if yeah. we had a good snow year, right? So, but that didn't work, right? Not enough snow, <laughs> snow on the wrong days. Like, it, I mean, if it could go wrong, it did. That's what it was like. Yeah. Back then. But I was trying to fix the wrong problem and I didn't know it. And nobody, nobody around me had enough awareness to tell me that I was trying to fix the wrong problem. But I think that's huge like where you're headed. And, and this is a, a, just a, a parenthetical stopping point to say most people try to fix the problem of the symptoms that are right in front of them. Yeah. So for you, the symptoms were there's not enough money. And yeah. for most for most people, that's the interpretation of the problem. Yep. And for you, 
that was the interpretation of the problem until what? Well, <laughs> we're sitting here having this conversation and I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about the situation. And I remember when I worked with my mentor several years later, he said something that instantaneously brought me back to that that problem that I thought I was trying to fix. One day I was sitting in a seminar and I'm just listening to him teach, you know, everything's kind of going kind of cool. And he drops this bomb in the middle of the room. He goes, if you think money's the problem, it's never the problem. It's a symptom of the problem. And my mind went all the way back to when I thought that was the problem. I'm like, how I, why didn't I know that? <laughs> this is five years too late. Right. I wish I'd have known that that was not the problem. But you're right. Exactly what you said. I was trying to fix. I was I was looking at the problem and I didn't realize it was a symptom of something else. And this so, is why I wanted you here. This is why I wanted you on on the podcast is because so it's it it is common thinking. Right. It is common thinking. I don't have enough money. Um, that's my problem. And it's like that's. <laughs> that's not the problem problem. (laughs) exactly exactly but everybody around you basically is in the same situation maybe they have a couple years more uh experience in it but nobody else knows that it's not the problem either because they're all trying to do the same thing right so how did you wake up to wow that's not the problem and and discover that it was internal for you like so i was doing what everybody told like i figured okay I I need to take other people's advice because I don't know what I'm doing. But all their advice was, was work as hard as you possibly can. So I was young, full of energy. I could do that, right? I mean, I could work those crazy hours. I could work nights. I could stay up for several days in a row. I could do all of that stuff. And that was the approach. And the problem was that over a period of time, that approach started wearing me down. I was getting tired. I was getting irritated. It wasn't fixing anything. Things were continuing to get worse, right? So now we're on food stamps, literally. We're living in a bad neighborhood. I've got a drug dealer that lives next door that used to beat his wife on occasion. And my wife would have to take the kids out of the house and take them to the park because she would be screaming because they would be in this crazy fight. And I'm feeling smaller and smaller and smaller. I'm coming home and I'm just feeling completely humiliated. Like, this is not the person that I want to be. How did I get myself in this situation? Don't know how to change it. So after two years of this nonsense, um, I had a really, really bad week. Like car broke down, late to work, getting written up for being late to work, uh, uh, exhausted at work, doing shoddy work, getting written up for that. I had one day where I went into work and I was called in the office twice and written up before I even punched in. And I was exhausted. And it was cold. It was Chicago. It was wintertime. And I'm working. And it's one of those days where every single thing that could go wrong is going wrong. And I just break down in the back of this truck crying. Like I remember driving into this trailer. I had a pallet full of food on. And as I went to put it down to to brace it, the whole thing just fell over and smashed. And I mean, that compiled with everything else. I just I just started crying. And I said, God, please show me what to do. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to turn this around. And a voice said to me, David, change your attitude. It was as clear as I'm talking to you right now. It was so clear. It snapped me out of my emotional response. I stopped crying. I started listening. I was like, what was that? 
It sounded like somebody was in the trailer with me. Yeah. Um, and then I started thinking, like, what the hell was that? Change your attitude, right? And you go through that whole thing, like, did I really hear that? Was uh, that was that real? You know, what what is that? You are listening to One Sharp Sword, cutting through to what matters most with your host, Dr. Wayne Purnell. You know you are bigger than the life you are leading. It really is time to attend to that thing you've wanted to do or have, but you've been putting off. It's time to step into that dream you've parked for someday. It's time to claim true well-being, both personally and professionally, without giving up the success that got you here. It's time to check out Dr. Purnell's signature small group retreat, the Exponential Success Summit. Explore ExponentialSuccessSummit.com. Seats are extremely limited as this is a very special small group event. www.ExponentialSuccessSummit.com. All right, so you were... (laughs) You were on the dock and you'd been written up twice before you clocked in and everything that could go wrong had go had gone wrong that day. You loaded a giant pallet of food into the back of a truck. It tips over. You basically broke down at that point. And I've had this experience as well. The A voice comes to you and it's... And it's David, change your attitude. Yeah, that's what it said. That's what it said. Did David change your attitude? I was the only one on the dock that night. Somebody called in sick or something, and I had to keep up with the flow of pallets coming off of the rollers uh, and to load these trucks until somebody else got there. And it, it's a it's a crazy scenario if you have two people doing it, let alone one. So this is putting me way behind, which puts the whole warehouse behind. It's it's totally nuts. Anyway, I hear this voice and I start thinking to myself, what is this? What does this mean? And I can I, I kind of got my composure back and I started back working, but this is going on in my mind. I'm really this is consuming my thought process. And I'm thinking this myself. I thought I remember thinking this my whole life when I was a student in going to school. I was a terrible student. And nobody recognized that I was not adapting to the traditional learning teaching ways that, you know, that most people do so that they really didn't know how to help me. Um, I was extremely good in any subject I was interested in, you know, generally science. I was like an A student in science, but Mm -hmm. a D student and everything else. So their, their response to me was, I, my mom and dad would get called into school. Uh, they would say, Dave's a pretty bright guy, but he, you know. You're, just, you're not applying yourself. Not applying himself. That's right. <laughs> uh, he has a poor attitude. That would be that would be written on the report card thing. So I would go home and I would yell that. And they would say, you need to change your attitude. And they would send me to my room and they would ground me. They would take away all my privileges from one report card to another. From the time I would get home. I would have to go to my room and study. I could come out for dinner and then I had to go back in my room till it was time to go to bed. Even on the, even on the weekends, I wasn't allowed to do anything. And this went on for years, Wayne, year, wow. year after year after year. Like they, it, they weren't, 
they did not understand how to fix this problem. And they figured if they just keep doing that at some point, you know, I'll change and all of a sudden I'll start cracking down. Right. <laughs> Suddenly I love what I don't understand or don't care about. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it, so it never worked. And then by the time, you know, when I turned 17, that was the, at that time, I don't know what it is now. You could, you could sign yourself out. You were considered a legal adult. You could sign yourself out of school. That Right after I turned 17, I walked right into the Dean's office. I signed myself out and I was done. I was like, I'd had it. So I'm, so I remember this, you know, like I've been hearing this my whole life, change my attitude. What does it mean to change my attitude? And I thought, where would I even see a good attitude? Well, it just so happened that the, the guy that ran the company that built the company that I was working for started it in his garage and it was the largest food importer in the United States. I mean, he really built something extremely significant. And I had an interesting interaction, well, multiple interesting interactions with this guy because he had, I don't know who he he used to design this, but the warehouse was hugely automated, which was, I mean, that was like edge technology back in the day. Yeah. And they would do that whole corporate thing where different CEOs would come and they would walk through and see what he had done and how he was doing it, you know, that whole thing. But this guy would never walk past anybody, Wayne, that was an employee without stopping and saying hello. And I remember seeing that and thinking to myself, there was something not right about it. I was almost to the point where I didn't trust him because I was raised that successful people were basically jerks. They were out to get you. Right. Not that anybody actually ever said that to me directly, but the the interpersonal conversations that people would have at the dinner table about, you know, who they're working for. And that that's the that's what I was picking up. Yeah. So I thought to myself, what's the difference between this guy's attitude and mine? And I thought, okay, he started, he started uh uh in in his garage. So he must have loved what he did to some point. I noticed that because I hated what I did. I absolutely hated it. I mean, it was the first thought that went through my head when I would wake up to go to work, how much I hated what I was doing. And I thought, yeah. well, he must have really liked it because that enabled him to do good work, I thought, right, which I was not doing. So I said, okay, I'm going to act like I love what I do. I'm going to do every job to the best of my ability, which nobody I mean, parents are supposed to take the kids and show them how to do their best, right? They're supposed to show them how to bring that out of themselves. You, you how do you better your best? Or what's a, yeah. what is a satisfactory job? What is an amazing job? How do you do, you know, what is the difference in the quality of that work? I never really learned that as a kid. And then the third thing was that my response when I would get in trouble would be to scream back at them, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. They would yell at me. Now, you got to remember, this is... Uh, these are these are truck drivers. They're warehouse workers, right? It, they would yell. I mean, they would yell. I mean, today you don't see that it probably as much as you did back then, but it was very common to get yelled at, right? Uh-huh. I mean, really, really yelled at. And I'm I would sure just, it still exists. <laughs> I would scream right back at them, right? Like, come on, bring it on, you know. But I never took responsibility for the mess. I was like, oh, they're picking on me, and you know, blah blah blah. And I would find every excuse that I could find. So. I decided I was going to change those three things and I was going to give myself a year to do it. And I would see if any of that made any difference whatsoever. Like, is there anything to this changing your attitude thing? What were the three things? Act like I love what I do. Okay. Do job to the best of my ability and treat everybody with total respect. 
That so I wanted, I just, I wanted to punctuate that because those are huge. Yeah. Right? So, so if that, it's like if our audience takes anything and chooses to <laughs> like focus on that, it's like, that's awesome. Yeah. Cool. That's what it was. That's what it was. And I, I immediately started the very next day. I had to figure out how to get my head straight to do that. So it kind of worked that out, driving back and forth to work. Went home that night, slept on that idea, got up, was thinking about it on the way to work. How am I going to do this? I go in there and I and I start that process of behaving as if those things were real yeah. in my life. And in 30 days, everything changed. Absolutely. My whole life was turned upside down for the better in 30 days. Um, and that was the end result. It actually started about, it started in, in about two weeks because after I was doing this for about two weeks, there was a guy there that uh, he would come every Tuesday and Thursday in a fuel truck to fill all of our trucks and all of our refrigerated trailers. Now I was on the dock. I was in charge of loading these things. Mm. So, so he would come in when he would first get there. His name was Drew Batty. He lived in Whiting, Indiana. He would come in and he would say, what needs to be filled? I'd give him a list of the stuff that needs to be filled. He would go out there. He'd be out there for a couple hours. He would fill it. He would come back in. I would have to check to make sure everything was filled on the list. And then I would sign it. And then he would go on his way. Well, I knew this guy for two years. I've been doing this every Tuesday and Thursday with this guy for two years. So we had, you know, like a joking, you know, relationship. We'd go out and have a cigarette or a cup of coffee or something, you know. Um, over the period of time, I got to know this guy. And two two weeks after I start to make this change, he says to me, how long are you going to stay working here? Now, he knew I wanted to get out of there because I had had this conversation with him before. And uh, I said, I don't know, Drew. I'm like, I, I don't know where to go. Like, I don't have a lot of experience. I have a truck driver's license. But most companies back then wanted you to have five years experience before they would hire you for a decent, well-paying job. And he said, well, my company is hiring. Why don't you come over by me? And I immediately got, I went into this funky uh, attitude mode when he said this. I got very disrespectful. Um, I got antagonistic. I started making fun of him. And I was looking, I, I started looking down on him like I was something better than what he was doing. And I kind of caught myself halfway in this conversation, like, what am, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. But I really didn't believe. But now, the thing was, was that I had, I had insecurities and fears that I didn't know. And I didn't know how to overcome an insecurity or a fear if it showed up in my life. But in my mind, this job was extremely dangerous. It was a fuel truck. You carry gas and diesel fuel. Like, what happens if somebody runs into you in this thing? And I actually asked him, I said, uh, how safe are these things? He's like, well, how safe is anything, right? I'm like, well, that's not answering me, right? I'm like, no, well, so has anybody ever died driving one of these things? He goes, yeah, last year a guy flipped one over and he burned to death in Indiana. That did not make me feel any better, Wayne. It really didn't. <laughs> That's the job for me. Hey, exactly, exactly. But I, I, I just I want to come back to your uh, like you you had this little sarcastic, condescending attitude when an opportunity was presented to you. I didn't know just, it was you didn't know it was an opportunity, but somewhere it must have registered. I'll tell you where. <laughs> okay, because I just I want to highlight it because as as you're telling the story, it's like. 
don't we all at some point seek that kind of safety and we push against an opportunity yeah. when it's there. And it's yeah. like, I just want to like shine a, a spotlight on that going where in each of our lives have we ever like tried to torch the opportunity that was handed to us. Right. So, so first of all, I didn't, I didn't see it as an opportunity. I was looking down at it. I did not have the skill sets to understand or process what I was going through emotionally. Mm-hmm. This conversation, that was a big part of the problem, right? So I'm seeing through this lens of my own insecurity, my own fear, um, my own narcissism. Like I'm looking through a lens that's allowing me to see this in a certain way. And after I kind of, you know, ran the guy through the, through this, through this nonsense for a few minutes, I said to him, I said, besides that, Drew, how much could you possibly be making driving this thing? And he said, well, last year I made 50,000. And I was like, you're full of shit. Right? I got, I got angry. I literally got angry. I thought he was lying to me. I thought he's, he was like turning the tables on me. And now he was going to tease me because I wasn't making very much money. And he said, no, I'm telling you, he, like he got really serious. And I was like, are you serious? He's like, I'm totally serious. He said, when I come next week, he said, I'll bring you a copy of my check stuff. I'll show you. And I said, okay, I'm holding you to that, right? So this is going on in my mind. I think this was on a Thursday. He was going to come back on a Tuesday. This is running around in my mind. He comes back and he shows me the check stub. And sure enough, he had made just over 50000 last year. And I was like, no kidding. So now I'm interested. Now I have a reason to kind of break through these fears. And I had to really work on doing that because not only did I have to get through the insecurities of driving this truck and that it's carrying flammable liquids and that, you know, like what happens if an accident happens. But there was also this thing where it was a union company. Now, this is one of the reasons why I made so much more money because it was a union outfit, right? But here was the deal. I was on the bottom of the seniority list Mm -hmm. and it was Chicago. So probably back then, I would say maybe 60, 70% of their business was construction. Mm-hmm. So when the ground froze in the late fall, they laid guys off because they didn't have as much work. They had a percentage of business was which was emergency generators, um, the, the Union Pacific Railroad, Southern Pacific Railroad, uh, anything that took diesel fuel or gas. There was trucks. There were some trucks, right? They were building that end of the company, but it hadn't been really expanded much. So there was a very good chance the moment that the ground froze that I was going to get laid off because the bottom five guys would get axed every year. And then some would come back, some some wouldn't. I never got laid off. But I had to get over that in my head because I thought, and I even did, I did, see, I almost kept making the same mistakes. I went to my uncle and I said, hey, have you ever heard of this company? Because my uncle worked in a, in a on a dock his whole life. Mm. And I said, you ever heard of this company? And he says, oh, yeah, we see them around all the time. He says, sometimes we call them, they come and fill our trucks. I'm like, what do you know about them? He's like, that's about all I know about them. He's like, I see their trucks. That's it. And they're around. Like, right? they're, they're around. around. Yeah, they're around. Right. They're well known in the city. I said, well, I got an opportunity to, to apply for a job there. I said, what do you think? And he said, let me ask you this. How much overtime do you get where you are now? And I said, all I want. He said, I would go where you get the overtime. Now. The thing that was crazy about this that I didn't realize till later was that was a total sabotage answer. He yeah. knew exactly how much money I'd be making if I went to work there. Because when I did, I instantly surpassed everybody in my family, 
Nobody was making as much money as I was making working for this company. And that was, I, you know, on the bottom of the list, you also get all the overtime. Yeah. Right. You get the crappy routes. You get the whole thing. Well, I was young. I was like, I would do anything. Right. Can you pay me that much money? I'll work 24 hours a day. I mean, that was kind of like my attitude. I was, I was so excited. Yeah. And that was, and, and that literally did it tripled my income in 30 days. And I was like, how did this even happen? And the thing was that I was, it kept messing with my head. This opportunity existed for two years and I didn't see it as an opportunity. Yeah. And I was thinking to myself, how did I not see that? And that's how- so key also for all of us that it's like, it's right there. It's right there. How did you, um, I'm going to fast forward just a little bit. Um, how did you move from, well, I'm driving a truck full of flammable liquid to like getting together with Bob Proctor and then eventually like you, you took it and you took your show on the road. Like how did that happen? Well, I went, it was several stages actually. One of the, one of the things was, was that I, I, I never changed this attitude change that I made. I kept that attitude. You never reverted back to never reverted back, never went back. So this new company that I'm working for, they only know David as this guy with this great attitude that'll do anything you ask him to do and do it very well, right? That's their first experience of me. That was their only experience of me. They had never really promoted anybody from truck driver into management. It wasn't done in those days. So I was the first person to get promoted from being a truck driver into low-level management. And then I worked my way to the top of the company where I was in charge of expanding the company across the country before I left. And I never went back to school or anything else. But during that process, I met a guy. They hired they hired a guy who uh, took the buyout when UPS went from uh, private to public. So when UPS went to private to public, they gave guys like some kind of a stock option buyout. You could either stay and work or, you know, put in your 20 or whatever. And this guy had was close to his 20, but he decided that he wanted to do something else. He was going to take a partial buyout and leave. And he, some recruiter had brought him into the company we were working with, and he was looking to, to help change the company. That's why they hired him. So him and I hit it off well, and he was kind of like a first mentor for me. And he was the one he came to me. So he knew that I was interested in self-improvement. We would talk all the time and stuff. He, he was the one that helped me get promoted. He he kind of mentored me through management and, you know, kind of learning those skills. And one day he said to me, he goes, uh, uh, listen, he's like, my brother-in-law is a doctor and he's involved in this MLM company. And I really think you'd be good at it. Why don't you come take a look at it? Well, as soon as that, as he said, he said that like flags went up. Like, this is a scam. It's a hoax. I don't want anything to do with it. I was actually, again, again, this arrogance showed up. Like, I can't believe this guy's involved with this thing. Like, doesn't he know that these are scams? That was my, that was the belief that I had. Not that I had never been involved in one, but you hear things, right? Sure. So he's, so for about three months, he kept, he kept trying to get me to go to a meeting. And I'm like, no, 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 no. So one day he comes up to me and he says, you're into that self-improvement stuff. Like you listen to Tony Robbins or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, he goes, you ever hear of this guy? And he hands me two cassette tapes that say Bob Proctor live in Orlando. And I'm like, never heard of him. Never heard of the guy. He goes, well, give him a listen. He said, you got to 
hundred mile drive home. <laughs> give him, give him, give him a listen. I'm like, yeah, I will. I'll tell you what I think. So I start listening to this guy on the way home and about halfway home, I pulled over and I was in tears by what the guy was saying. He was answering questions that nobody else I was listening to was answering. Uh-huh. And he, what he was doing was he was, he was helping me understand how the spiritual and the success part came together. Like what, how did that actually work? Because I had huge conflicts about that. I would, that, you know, all my money conflicts and success conflicts and successful people, you know, all of that was a tremendous value conflict inside of me on top of it with religion. And I didn't know how it all fit together because it's, it's it together in like 30 minutes. People misquote um, money being the root of all evil. It's like, yeah. it's, that's not the quote. <laughs> so, right. right, right, right. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah. he's, so he's putting this stuff together and I'm like, I can't, I want to, I got to meet this guy. I got to, is he doing a seminar or whatever? So I go back the next day and I'm like, yeah, this is, this is fantastic. He's like, well, this guy does all this exclusive training for this company that I'm telling you about. So now I have another perception shift, right? Because of what this guy, I knew this guy knew what he was talking about based on what he was, what he was saying. So I agreed to go to this dinner and this meeting. And then I got involved with this company and that's how I met Proctor. Uh, Mm -hmm. That started this whole introduction into being a business person, right? These are like early business skills you're, you're learning. And one thing led to another. And so the whole process took about seven years of me consistently studying and then getting my feet wet with a network marketing company. I did. It turned out I didn't want to go down the road of network marketing, uh, but I did want to go down the road of doing seminars and teaching what, uh, what Proctor was uh-huh. teaching, and that's and that's how I that's how I went from getting a getting into this company to starting my own business, and that happened in '99. See, '99. So it's been 23 years for you. Yeah. In biz. How did you? I. This is something I actually don't know. How did you decide um, to move on from being uh, a student of Bob Proctor and? And saying, you know what, I could, I could do this on my own. Um, you know, starting your own business, and you are a perpetual student, um, so I'm sure you continued to study with Bob in some way as you started your own business. Oh yeah, we had, we had a relation. Not only did I study with him, but I was the top producer in his organization as a facilitator, putting people even, in. Even as you started your own business, even as I started my own business. Okay. I was putting so many people in my own seminars that he called me on the phone and said, what are you doing? And I said, what do you mean? I, cause I didn't know how well I was doing. I didn't know that his other facilitators weren't doing well. I had no idea. And he said, what are you doing? And I told him, and he said, uh, would you come talk? Would you come up to Toronto and talk to the other facilitators because they're not selling. And I didn't realize how well I was doing. So I did. So then, so then I went and I started training his facilitators, right? And this is within the first year of me becoming a facilitator. I'm up there training his facilitators. And then he says, would you help me fill some seats in my stuff, right? Because he only had one salesperson at the time. So I'm doing that. I'm helping him. I'm doing my own seminars. And then we started a company where we were doing seminars together. So that was, that was the process. That's how that, that's how that happened. That's awesome. That's awesome. And I mean, the evolution of you now, 
was it called Life Is Now? Would you started it, or did that did they come? Now, in? Life, yeah, I, I called it Life Is Now before I actually started the business as it is. It was actually the original name of my network marketing business, but I never incorporated the paperwork. So that didn't happen until I started this. Then I actually incorporated it. That's awesome. Life is now. How would you define um, your business? You know, I, I at one point I said, "Well, you you know you do." In, in one of our previous conversations, I said, "So you you know you do mindset work." He's and and you said, um, "No, my work is about helping helping people in their business." And it's like. <laughs> what? Because everything you've done, um, you know, for me, it has been to like flush out all of the stuff that I didn't even know was there. Right. Yeah. And, and it has helped me in my business. I mean, incredibly, like <laughs> when you, it's amazing what happens when you get out of your own way. Um, <laughs> right. So well, how would you, how would you, yeah, define what you do? And here's, here's what I learned very early on. Uh, nobody changes without a reason to change. Mm -hmm. And when I first started, uh, my intention was not to work with business people. I didn't really have an intention other than I want to I want to teach these seminars that Proctor's teaching. But I didn't know anything about who my audience would be or marketing or selling it or who do I go after or any of that. And I learned really quick Um you know, by, by quick default, I mean, I had to be a quick student on this, or I would have never made it because I had to be making money immediately that the people, uh, that if they did not have a reason, in other words, a, a real commitment, committed reason to actually make these changes, there was no change going to happen. Never mm -hmm. seen anybody do it actually. Um, so I thought, okay, well, who are the people that uh, that would be committed to a change. They have to have a reason for the for the change. So I went after the idea about making more money, and I started selling it to people that were involved with network marketing first, because that's what I came out of. Mm -hmm. So I kind of had a door into that world. Um, and then within a few years, I was like the top speaker in in all of network marketing in the United States. Amazing. Yeah. So Amazing. it was. So that's how that's how that's how I got. It. And then. Over over a short period of time, I realized that though most of those people were not really serious about network marketing. A few, a very small percentage were serious. But but in in order for me to build a business, I was going to have to work with a lot of people that weren't serious and just take their money for them doing nothing. And I really didn't feel good about that at all. It, it didn't do anything for me as a person, as a teacher. It, it didn't cause me to grow in any way. And it was not fun to watch people get so scared that they would literally walk away from what they paid me to help them and not even pick up the phone. I mean, you couldn't even give them a refund because they wouldn't pick up the phone. I mean, it was, it was that nuts. It's, it's huge. Like I want to, I want to highlight that point too. Like fear of changing who you were to become something better holds people back in such a way that but it's like they'll do ridiculous stuff to just hold on to what they know. It's and true. it's um, I mean, you've seen it over and over and over over the decades. I've seen it as well. And it's um, it's just I, I wish there were a way of inviting people like, look how good your life could be like the ghost of Christmas future. You know, it's like, look what you could. Yeah. be. Um, yeah. yeah. I think I think anybody who who 
seriously does this as an undertaking for their life's purpose, learns relatively quick that you can't change the uninitiated. They, a person has to be looking. They have to be seriously looking and questioning their life. And our job is to find those people that are currently questioning what they're they're doing. And those are the people that you can help uh, make a real difference for. Everything else is you're trying to change somebody who doesn't want to change for whatever the reason. I mean, there's a million reasons, as you know, right? There's a million reasons. They just don't want to change. Talk a little bit, you know, we're we're coming close to the end of our time together. Talk a little bit about your business. You know, you've done the the model is you, you speak and people hear you and it's amazing and they connect with you either in a group setting or or one-to-one. And and um I've been fortunate to be a a one of your of VIP mentees. Um, and I appreciate that so much because it's just like, I always say that even, you know, great coaches need great coaches. You need, you can't see, like, if you're in the picture, you can't see the frame. You can't ask a fish what water's like, cause they have no, there's no perspective of not water. I'm so That's in right. my life, I need somebody from the outside. You've been amazing for me at that. And, and now I'm watching you go through another period of growth for yourself and your company where where you're now like there's this new focus it's a refined focus on business leaders on business process and business leaders and um your business partner stuff like the COO is stepping into a a teaching a greater teaching and leadership role with you can you talk about what's coming is that is that well, okay to do here? Yeah, yeah, sure. The, what the interesting thing about this industry is, I mean, I worked with like all the old timers before they before they passed on. Not Earl Nightingale, but the second generation, yeah. the Proctors and the Jim Rones and all that stuff. And what what I saw, and even with Tony Robbins today, what's fascinating about it is that as long as the business is about them, their name, they're the product, you can't get out. So, I mean, I watched my mentor live 86 years and never be able to stop doing the front end of the business. And I know privately he wanted to stop, right? Mm-hmm. He didn't say that publicly, but he did, but he had communicated that for years privately. He really did. But it's like, once you get in there, how do you turn, how do you actually turn that around? Tony hasn't still yet to been able to do it. Now, Tony's, uh, the great thing about Tony is that he's got so many other companies. It's not necessary, but I think it's so much a part of who he is as a person at this point, unless if if he keeps having the physical problems that he's having, he may end up, he may end up actually stopping because he doesn't, when I, when I did Tony Robbins seminars, it was all him for three days, 18 hours a day. I mean, it was brutal. I mean, he doesn't do that anymore either. So I uh, I went through several changes in my personal life. Part of it was raising my four children um, and not aggressively moving the business forward as fast as I could have because I wanted to, I had gotten divorced and it was very important to me that I spent enough time with my kids. So I would have them for two weeks. My ex would have them for two weeks. So I scheduled my company around that idea. It was like, we were doing fine, making a ton of money. But I wasn't going to aggressively move forward during that time because I really needed, I wanted to focus on my kids. Now that they're grown, it's a different story. Mm-hmm. So then it 
So then it becomes, okay, what are we going to turn this into, right? I'm 56 years old. I've been doing this for almost 24 years. What I don't want to wake up at 80 and find out I don't want to do it anymore. I still love doing it, right? Uh I still love the interaction. I don't want to find out when when I don't want to do it that I can't stop type of an idea, right? I don't want to get into that kind of a situation. So it's been it's it's been a series of it's been a number of years. It was kind of stifled a little bit by COVID. That kind of threw a wrench into things as far as what how it was going to shake out. But Steph and I have been looking for years at what is it that we want this actually to look like on the other side. And one of the things that we've always wanted to do is to bring the hardcore business skills themselves in, not just the mindset, right? And there's a lot of different reasons for that, but primarily it's so that you can help incorporate them together and they understand how they work, um, you know, uh, how they actually work together so that so that it makes sense for them. And Steph is very good at that. Um, so we we tested it. We wanted to see how it would work. And it, of course, it worked phenomenal. And we're just so that's the road that we're going down. We're going down this road where it's a more holistic company. Uh, it does small to medium business, um, and it helps people from both a mindset perspective and from hardcore business skills. So it's sales, marketing, team building, culture, you know, the the whole thing. And, there, and it's just we're expanding in, in that direction. That's awesome. Because I awesome. have other things I want to do that I you can't do. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to talk about those right now. But there are other things that I want to do that I can't do until I'm not the center focus of the company. Yeah. So we've even taken it away from David Nagel to Life Is Now, because it's it's more about putting it putting a name on the process and not the person. That's awesome. I think that's a that's a lesson in itself. Yeah. So um, so if people want to find out more about about you about your process, lifeisnow.com. Um, lifeisnow.com. That's correct. Okay. Life is, life It just got changed. Life is now or life is now inc.com. One of the two. I'll look it up. It'll be in the show notes. <laughs> and or the successful mind podcast where they could really, because that is, that is all the teaching it's yeah. in the, is in the podcast. And there's some, please, yeah, I'm going to invite my audience, please get a dose of David in your ear every day. It's a, it's amazing. Right, the successful mind podcast. Right. Really like good. an apple a day. <laughs> it, it totally is. It totally is. Thank you. Any uh, any other kind of closing words that you that you would want to offer the listeners slash viewers? I think people need to find a reason to live their life. I love it. Find a reason. Find something that's important to you and stick with it. Right. I mean, yeah. I think life delivers to you everything that you need when you need it. Um, but you got to focus on something and don't worry about getting off course because the universe or God will find you, whatever word works for you. Really good. Right on. Oh, David Nagel, a man that I trust deeply, love very much, and um, just have so much respect for. Thank you so much for, for being on, on my podcast. My pleasure, my friend. Have a great awesome. night. Thank you. This is One Sharp Sword, cutting through to what matters most. I'm your host, Dr. P, Dr. Wayne Purnell. Thanks for being here. We'll see you here next time. Thank you for listening to One Sharp Sword, cutting through to what matters most with your host, Dr. P, Dr. Wayne Purnell, the breakthrough success coach and your powerful presence mentor. 